Good morning. Uh, We're going to be reading today from Judges chapter 16, starting at verse 1, and we're going to go right through to the end. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. And said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. 
And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, He leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Well, let's pray, hey? Father, we want to come before your throne of grace this morning. Uh, We pray that wherever we are at in our journey with you, whether if we're followers of yours, whether we're skeptical, or we had a really tough week, we ask that you would meet with us as you already have been. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would change hearts and wills this morning through the word. So we walk away knowing our great King more and more. In your mighty name we pray. Uh, well, once again, as it's already been extended to you, welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church, particularly if you're visiting. Uh, it's a great joy and privilege to have you here with us. Uh, we say this every week, and we really mean it, that if you're someone who's looking for a church home, we pray that maybe if this is where God has you, that God would stir you and maybe see how you can be part of this church family. If you're someone who's skeptical to the good news of the gospel or to who Jesus is and his claims, we pray that God will continue to reveal himself to you. Uh, This morning, we come to wrap up the story of this guy called Samson that we've gotten to know over the last couple of weeks. We've gotten to know this young man uh, from a very young age was set aside by God to use for his purposes. But very quickly, we found also a man uh, who was very, very clear on not really following his calling. Uh, He pretty much went out of his way to do whatever he wanted, uh, to rebel, to sin. Uh, But in the midst of that, there was a God who was still willing to use him, which is amazing and powerful in the story of the Bible. Because ultimately, the story of Samson continues to remind you and I that there's a God who is uh, 
bent on saving and rescuing people. And it may seem impossible to us, but God still rescues even when people aren't actually necessarily asking or looking to be rescued. We also explore that in the midst of sin and rebellion, there's a God who's working in it, and sin ultimately, it says, it's no God, it's my thing, I will do my own way, but it's a downward spiral. But there's a God who encounters you right where you're at and will still rescue you and intervene. And we know that in the story of the Bible that it's ultimately and gloriously displayed in our Lord Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, This morning we come to the final chapter in Samson's life. And he's in a sense the final judge in the book of Judges. But the story of Judges continues. Uh, Two things I want us to consider this morning. Firstly, the numbing of sin. And secondly, a victorious God. Numbing of sin. What do I mean by that? Well, we've just met Samson. I want you to imagine for a moment you are a Jewish father who's reading the story to a little kid. And the previous night, you've just read about how Samson has been rescued by God. Not only that, he's used the jawbone of a donkey to you know, kill a thousand people. And you're thinking to yourself, at this Jewish little kid listening to dad's story, oh, this is the moment. This is the moment that Samson is going to go against the Philistine and rescue our people. And this is our great hero, Samson, that I've been waiting for. And you hear your dad say, Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They say, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill. But Samson lay till midnight. At midnight he arose, took hold of the doors of the gates, and pulled them up bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. I mean, imagine being this little kid, hearing the story of your dad reading about Samson, thinking, oh, Samson's finally going to deliver the nation of Israel. He's kind of finally going to be used by God to kick out the Philistines. I mean, it talks about him judging. You know, there's this one hand, there's this man who's just won a battle, and you think, yes, this is the moment. But we have the raw real-life picture of a man who slips back to what he knows. In a sense, what he really loves. Not ultimately God, but his own passions, what he desires to follow. In other words, he heads to another love of his. This time, it's a woman again. But this time, it's a prostitute. In his eyes, he sees her, and he has one thing in mind. He wants to sleep with her. And it seems that the word has gotten out that Samson has arrived into this town to sleep with this prostitute. And maybe the story about, you know, someone killing a, a, a thousand people with a jawbone of donkeys passed around and, and people are afraid and to the point they bring a whole army again to get this guy and they, they camp waiting in silence for that moment till he comes out to surprise them and get, them, get him. On one hand, when you're reading the story, it's almost like comical because you're kind of thinking to yourself, why are they waiting? Why do they go surprise this man while he's with the prostitute? For whatever reason, they wait. But what we have in front of us, friends, is a raw picture of what Samson was doing in that. There's only one thing on Samson's mind. Samson went and and met this woman who is caught up in sexual slavery 
to use her for his own benefit. And after he's used her, after he's used her and done what he did, he decides to move on, to leave. In many ways, friends, what we're seeing is a raw picture of Samson's heart. He has no consideration for her. He's just thinking about himself. And in many ways, it's bad news for the men who are waiting. It's a surprise. They're waiting to get him, but he comes out early. Now, I don't know, when you read passages like this in the Bible, it would have been a sight to see. Here is this man grabbing a doorpost. Now, when I say doorpost, I'm not talking about these little green doors in front of us here. You know, historians have found gates made in that period. It was usually from the Iron Age. It was elaborate. It would have been two stories high. And because it's a gate that stops them coming into town, there's um, um, flanking kind of narrow posts where the guards would stand. So if you can imagine uh, Samson, it's been put into the ground, lifts it up and carries it. And if he was really walking with it, he would have been about 64 k's of walking with this gate on his shoulder. You know, this is the Rambo moment. If you're a young person, Incredible Hulk, Thor, whatever you want to use. And in that moment, there's this picture of a man who goes and does what he pleases. And yet, he's not handed over in this moment. He's not killed, he's not taken away, and you kind of wonder what happened to these people. Why are they chasing after him? Is the perfect moment to capture someone? No. You have this picture of a God who's still gracious, still there, allowing Samson in some sense. And maybe they saw this strong man carrying a gate and they thought to themselves, not a good time to be around. Maybe we should just leave him. But see, you've got to remember in the story of a single person like Samson, what God is trying to show is also the big picture of Israel. Here is a man who's been chosen by God, set aside for God's purposes. Nation of Israel was chosen by God, set aside for God's purposes. Externally, he's got the religious vows. He's got the braids that we just heard about. He's done the vow and he's meant to live in a particular way. Obviously, he's not doing that. And he was willing to compromise in his life. So in a sense, he sleeps with whoever he wants, whenever he wants. In the same sense, the nation of Israel also were called by God to be set aside, to worship God. They had the laws and the covenants. But in many ways, what they were doing was they were looking around at their nations around them and saying, hey, let's be like them. Let's try that out. Let's try out that festival. Let's worship their God. Let's bring in their rituals to ours and kind of merge it together. What we have in front of us in real picture, high definition, is what happens when you and I and when people in general and when the Samson and people of Israel become numb to sin and its influence in our lives. If you're using modern day Christian terms, it's like saying, hey, I've got my ticket to heaven, I'm secure, but my life, you know, that's negotiable how I live that out. I can live however I please. I'm safe, I'm secure, I've got my ticket to heaven. But friends, this picture here in the story of Samson is a warning to you and I of the danger of when we become numb to sin and we end up compromising slowly and slowly. Eventually it leads to destruction and even entraps some of us. 
you continue to read in Judges 16, verses 4 to 6. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him. See where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. We will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me, where is your great strength lies? And how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Our friend Samson uh, has obviously got a lot of interest in women. Uh, he, we met that in the few cha- last chapter. He met a fiancé. He wants to marry her. That didn't go so well. Uh, now the sides goes and he finds a prostitute, sleeps with her, and he's finished with her and he moves on. And finally, he decides to settle down. He's found a girl. Not any other girl. Most probably this woman would have been someone from the Philistine nation. Her name is the only one that's mentioned out of all the women in Samson's life, Delilah. She's probably not a Philistine. So she is probably a Philistine. And so in that sense, he's already doing what he shouldn't be doing. He, sit, he goes and chases after her and he falls in love with her. He falls in love with her. Do you feel the goosebumps? It's a love story, isn't it? The story of Samson. You know, this is where you insert the dramatic music. You know, it's that moment you had me at hello. I think in this moment in our secular world, and maybe even some of us have read it, and we get easily caught up in the emotion of it all. But friends, what we have, yes, a man falls in love, but he falls in love with a woman he shouldn't have fallen in love with. He falls in love with a woman in many ways, also as we see in her own life, has another love. And it's definitely not Samson. Besides her being a Philistine woman, in every reality she does not worship the same God that Samson worships. She worships another God. And anyways, she, if you want to use the language of the storyline here, she has another love. She wants the money. She wants that security and that finances that's provided for her. In other words, she necessarily doesn't have ties to Samson or the God of Samson. In other words, she's also now looking after her own interests. And in this very moment, what Samson is having is an interfaith relationship. He's a man who believes in the God of the Bible. She doesn't. If you're using our day and term, this is a man who is a Christian going out with a non-Christian. He's fallen in love with her. Friends, it is a wonderful story in that it's so real and raw, but it should be confronting to you and I. Because in many ways, as much as she's looking after her own interests, this man is also looking after his own interests. He's looking after his own needs. And ultimately, this would become a trap for him. So it's the words gotten out. Samson's here again. Some rulers now come. It's escalated from some people to rulers. So his fame is spreading. They have one particular goal. And in this moment, they are not saying, hey, we, we want to kill him. Did you pick what they want to do to him? They say to her, seduce him. We'll pay you money. But we want to bind him and humble him. In other words, or the better way to read it is to say, they want to humiliate this guy. Because this is the man who's humiliated the mighty Philistine army. One man. 
He's humiliated them. He's beaten up a thousand people with a jawbone of a donkey. Who's heard of that? That's not even possible. And in that moment, what they do is they come to engage and talk to Delilah. They want to find out what the weakness is. Well, in some sense, they've already found out, right? There she is, Delilah. They want to start there first. They go to Samson's first weakness in women and talk to Delilah. They offer a reward. And in that time for this Delilah, she would have been a significant amount. If you can imagine every ruler giving you that amount of money. That is a lot of money. It would have set you up. It's very clear. Delilah's love for Samson is not as much as his love for her. She loves something much more than Samson. She's willing to the point of betraying him. And she decides to find out what the secret is. Now, uh, it's very clear, as you have probably picked it up in the storyline, Samson's not very good at picking up clues, let alone learning the lesson the first time. Right? Previous chapter, it's almost like identical in some sense. But this is what the reality of the numbing of sin does. It sort of tones things down and its effects... Uh, We tend to ignore the good advice of people who love us. And then we tend to ignore the warning signs. And what happens is our hearts ultimately say, no, I want to love that despite of what you might say. It's almost identical fashion of what happened in the previous chapter with uh, Samson and his fiancée. And this is this moment where Delilah wants to find out what's going on. And Samson likes playing games, obviously. But Delilah doesn't think it's that funny at all. She actually says, you're mocking me. And each time he tells her a lie, and each time she thinks she's got him, the Philistines are the one who are the joke. It's all a joke and a bit of fun to him. What astounds me in all of this, three times he does it to her, he does not go, oh, I'm out of here. I probably should leave. This is probably a bad idea. The Philistines keep rocking up. But friends, in some sense also what we're seeing another um, personality thing about Samson. I've got a feeling this guy pretty much backed himself. He's pretty proud. He can handle this. I've got this. In a sense, his confidence is in himself. Rather than taking the warning signs, he's willing to go there. This time, though, he doesn't go home because the numbing of sin and his actions is drowning it out. And using Samson's language, he's fallen in love for all the wrong reasons. He becomes numb to sin. He becomes blind to what's really going on. Friends, this is the reality of what happens when you and I are also captured by the love of something or someone that is not actually good for us. We become blind to the dangers of it. Because in the story of Samson, in this chapter, there's a greater danger happening and Samson is not even picking it up. He's clueless to it. So Delilah has had enough. She comes and says to him, you've mocked me, I don't want to be mocked anymore. She says to him in verse 15, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times. You've told me, where is your great strength lies? And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, 
The razor has never come upon my head, for I am a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. I don't know if you've heard the story or the statement. They say that love is blind. Very true in this story. Here is a man who has fallen in love with a woman. I mean, a woman that he himself, as an Israeli, as a Jew, should not even be anywhere near. But he's fallen in love with her. He's a man who's fallen in love with a woman who definitely will not have any desire to worship the God that Samson has been called to worship. But he's fallen in love with her. But friends, what we're seeing in Samson's life is the Bible's picture of what Israel is doing at the same time. They too have fallen in love with the gods around them and sinking their lives with the traditions of the time and practices. In many ways, the nation of Israel had become numb, just like Samson, blind to their own sin. In other words, they had given their heart to someone else rather than the God of the Bible. Delilah goes straight for the heart of this man. She wants to find the secret. She wants to get paid. And she says, oh, I thought you said you love me. Oh, striking words for a man who's fallen in love with her. He says, you've mocked me. And like the previous chapter, what Samson proceeds to hear from this woman, the, the, the literal way of saying is, for seven days she's nagging him, day after day, to the point that he's going to die. That's the strong language. And what does Samson do finally? He tells her, Not just a secret. The language is all his heart. He talks about the razor, how he's a Nazarite vow, what he's been set aside by God. He doesn't talk about his purpose at all. And he says, this is who I am. He shares everything. He lays it all bare. His whole heart pours out. He tells her his calling, his vow. He talks about his Lord. The artist by the name of John Legend, who's a uh, favorite uh, musician of mine, a modern-day artist, he wrote a very famous love song. I'm sure you've heard it on the radio. They even played on this radio station called Light FM. Uh, And it goes like this in the chorus. It says, Because all of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges and all your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me. I'll give all my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning because I give you all of me and you give me all of you. Isn't that cute? Isn't that beautiful? Ladies, if a man sings that song to you, run. It's impossible for a man to give all. Okay? You can talk to me about that after. But in some sense, what Samson is saying is that when he says his whole heart, he's giving everything to her. And but the thing, if you haven't noticed what, if you picked it up, Samson thinks what sets him apart from all the other men is the strength that he gets from his hair. In a sense, it's not even remembering his vow, neither does he mention that the strength ultimately comes from the Lord. And friends, what we see is a tragic moment in Samson's life. Because he thinks what separates him from every other man around, particularly the Philistine men, and maybe even the Jews of that time, 
is that he's got his strong hair. That's where his strength comes from. But in his actions, it's very clear he's no different from all the men and people around them, doing what was pleasing in their own eyes. This man is so in love with this woman that he can't bear being nagged as much as he has been. And so he tells her everything and finally the trap is set. She makes him vulnerable. She knows the secret. She goes and betrays him. She ends up getting the reward. And what I find astounding is as this is all happening and even the story of someone having him sleep on her lap and and someone coming and cutting the seven braids, the picture of the number seven is a symbolic thing of completed. It's the idea that strength is being cut out and it's all gone. His strength is gone. But here's the thing. What Samson does not notice is something much greater is happening. See, Samson and Delilah think the secret of his strength is in his hair. But friends, we've seen already in Samson's love, it's not until the Lord empowers him. It is God who empowers him and gives him that ultimate strength. Because in this moment in Samson's life, there's something because he's so numb and his pride is full in his heart. He's unaware of what's going on. He's numb to the reality of sin. Something amazing, both powerful and scary has happened. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke up in his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Friends, that is a confronting picture. Here is a strong man. He's just picked up a huge gate and walked out. He thinks he can back himself. He's got this. He's like he did before. Last three times. He thinks his strength is his own. It's in his hair. That's what he's all thinking. But something great and more powerful and more scary thing has ever happened in Samson's life. More than his physical strength leaving, the Lord God, the God of the universe, has turned aside from Samson. And he's numb from it. He does not even know it. But the Lord had turned aside from Samson. He is a man whose confidence is in his braided hair. And now he's been betrayed, he's weakened, and he's led away like a defeated enemy. And even the language of bronze uh, um, shackles is to give this picture that he's not even strong enough to break those before he just carried a whole gate. That's how weak he is now. His eyes are gouged out. What a powerful picture to imagine the last things he may have seen is also his betrayer and those overpowering him. What the Philistines want has happened. He's been humiliated. And so they parade him, they bring him humiliated. Here is the man who defeated a thousand Philistine men with a jawbone of a donkey, is defeated, eyes gouged out. And like a common animal grinding the mill, that's what he's doing, round and round, round and round. And it seems all bad. And in this moment, I wish you could kind of, you know, kind of zoom into Samson's sort of head and wonder what he's thinking as he's grinding around and around. But one thing is very clear that the God of the universe is not silent. Because under and all of this, under the background, there's another bigger, greater, more important, in a sense, battle happening. That is between the God of the universe, the true God of Israel, and the God of the foreign armies. 
And the greatest showdown is about to happen in the story of Judges. There's a big party happening in Judges 16. The lords of the Philistines gather. They offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and they rejoice. And they say, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand. The ravager of our country has killed many of us. When they were merry, meaning like they had quite a few drinks, big party, they call out Samson to entertain us, to mock him, to ridicule him from the prison. And in that moment, Samson asked to be held between the pillars. I mean, this party and the celebrating and the song that they're singing ultimately is a boast. They're singing a boasting song. They're ultimately saying, hey, who has given us Samson? Who has given us this man? This man who thinks he's impressive. This man who defeated uh, a lot of these Philistines, who's been a pain for us. Who's done that for us? Our God, Dagon. On one hand, I find it impressive because the, the writer is like saying, hey, even the Philistine army are worshipping their God. The people of Israel are nothing, not saying anything. They're not even worshipping the God of their, their God, Yahweh. For those of you interested in Dagon, you can look him up. Uh, he was a very ugly looking thing. Uh, it was a, a Philistine deity of fertility, represented by uh, the face and hands of a man and the tail of a fish. Uh, he was a central figure of uh, the Philistine uh, culture. In that moment, uh, they're saying, hey, Dagon has done this. But friends, as we read the story of Judges, who is the one who's allowed this to happen? Who had left Samson? The Lord is the one who's allowing this. You've got to remember a couple of things. In the introduction of Samson, if you remember, this is all God's plan unveiled now. In Judges 13 verse 5 says, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. In Judges 14, 4 again, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. It is very hard for us to comprehend, but what's going on in the background is a sovereign God who's involved intimately, in this moment, even in the midst of sin and folly, to achieve his ultimate purpose, to save the people of Israel from the Philistines. And in this moment, Samson's weakest moment in life would ultimately cost his life. Just as the Lord said he would die, in the midst of this party, Samson's paraded, and maybe he's thinking about it in his head. They're saying, ha! This Samson, are you serious? This is no one. This is the guy who killed many Philistines. Look at him. What a joke. Look at him. This is our God. Our God is the winner. In other words, Samson and his God, big deal. Maybe that's what taunted Samson and he's moved and he's put in a strategic place. And this is when the author says 3,000, in summary, very important people are there watching Mocking, drinking, partying it up, laughing. In that moment, you have probably one of the most powerful words ever written in the book of Judges. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only once to avenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. He grasps the pillars, he cries out, and the pillars fall down. 
So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Samson calls out, Sovereign Lord, please remember me. Strengthen me one more time. Let me get revenge against these Philistines from my own, these two eyes that have gouged out. Even though Samson calls out for revenge, he makes a statement, is a powerful statement to say, Remember me. It's a cry of faith from a broken man. Even though the Lord had turned away from him, the Lord had not forgotten him. The Lord remembered him as he cried out. This is a picture of a gracious God, friends. And Samson, as you read in the narrative, you saw that his hair was growing back. In that moment, Samson is calling out for God to give him his strength. God is the one who empowers him to do this final act. He ends up killing himself and those there. What Friends, what we have is a picture of a God who's victorious, who will defeat the enemy. In that moment, the God of the Philistines, Dagon, this God cannot be stopped, will not be stopped. He will achieve his plans despite of fallen humans. And you have this wonderful picture in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, verses 29 and 35. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mounds of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. In weakness, Samson cries out in faith to the God of the universe who strengthens him to ultimately do his plan. And in his death, Samson would defeat more enemies than when he was alive. See, friends, what we have is this confronting picture of a God who will always listen to people who cry out to him, whoever they are. Even though sin had numbed him, God had turned away, but in that moment he receives grace in the weakest of moments. In 1671, John Milton wrote a poem about Samson called Samson's Agnostics. It's like this play that he wrote. And he talks about how Samson exhausted. He's dejected outside the prison of Gaza. His hair's hung ridiculously. And some friends come along to him. And they want to console him. And it's almost like a, a direct picture of Job. And, but they're shocked in what they see. Here is the strong man just sitting there doing nothing. And they stand in silence. And they turn around to each other. And they make this profound statement by saying, O mirror, O mirror of our fickle state. If you want to use our terms, that is us. See, when we read these stories of judges, we should see ourselves in Israel and Samson, in Israel and Samson, who were called to a covenant relationship with God, but then rejected God and wanted to follow the gods of the nation rather than worshiping their God, who were they called to go to worship, the God they were called to worship, to love with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. The picture is they failed, we failed. Although they might have made vows and covenants, they kept on looking around to see what they could mingle into their life. This is the parallel line that's in front of us. 
Samson's called to be holy. Israel's called to be holy. Samson went after other women. Israel went after other gods, which led to sin and destruction. But here is the picture of a gracious God in the midst of that. Every time they sin, every time they call out, God sends a rescuer. Because God is the one who will always keep his promises despite of you and me. That is no different for you and me. Because you and I are constantly tempted to pursue our own things, our own loves. And friends, if you do not know Jesus today, I want you to know that you might not realize this. In some sense, you're living for yourself. At the heart of it, you're saying to God, I don't need you. My strength, my love, my security is in your status, in your job, in your finances, in that relationship you have, in your kids, in your home, in your salary package, in your lifestyle. But at the heart of it, you, your soul is thirsty. And you may be walking around aimlessly like Samson until you realize there is a God who infinitely loves you and he's the only one who can truly give you true strength found in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would invite you to seek that out. We would invite you to discover that love and be filled in Christ. And if you know Jesus on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, you and I too have been called to live in a particular way. Ephesians 1.4 says, In Christ, before the foundation of the world, we were called to live to be holy. But here's the thing. Do we embrace that? Or are we reluctant part-time saints? Are we constantly calling to the things that we may think it's based on our duty and our oaths that we follow God rather just because we love Him? Or do we only just call out to God when it's in a really bad situation? We're in trouble. Friends, if you believe in Jesus, you're under a new covenant. And I'm so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ because whoever you are, someone who doesn't believe, does believe in somewhere in between, the remedy will always be to look to our Savior. The one who, unlike Samson, picked up the cross perfectly and literally on your behalf and my behalf. He's the only one who has truly, 100%, perfectly loved his Father with all soul, mind, and strength. He's the one who fully obeyed him, 100%, to die for your sins and my sins. And like Samson, Jesus went to the cross not for revenge. Rather, he took your place and my place. And in his death, he has defeated the enemy of the cross is Satan, sin, and death. Christ has won the victory. And God has ultimately achieved his plan when he cried out and said, it is finished. Friends, if you don't know Jesus, we would invite you to explore that. And if you do, remember for those of us who are tempted to think that going on Sundays, not swearing, not watching certain movies is what makes us right with God. Just remember it is God's grace that makes you right with God. It's Jesus' finished work, not yours or mine. And that grace then we should extend to those who are struggling. For those of us who see grace just as a ticket to heaven, and maybe there are things right now in your life you constantly are enticed to look in your hearts. Remember who you are. You belong to Jesus. You are His. You are a saint called to live in a particular way. But when the glorious thing is, on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We don't need to try this in our own strength. The Holy Spirit empowers us to say no to sin and say yes to God. And when we mess up, we can turn again and say, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. 
Because he is the one who empowers us to fight even the Dagons of our time. In the story of Samson, ultimately you see a man who wanted to find his deepest need in a woman. So the question is still the same for us. Who are we looking to or what are we looking to fill that gap? Because only God's love will truly fill our deepest needs. Because that's how God has designed it. So friends, what are the things that you're looking to? What am I looking to fill our deepest needs? At home? Is it our kids? At work? That salary package? A position that you have? Boyfriend? Girlfriend? You're in a retirement season? The grandkids or that style of life? Maybe you're thinking that you'll find true love once you find significance till you're married, or maybe you're like the opposite. No, I don't want to get married. Do you know those of us in ministry position are no different? Recently, I was talking to some friends of mine who have been in ministry for a long time. In the midst of me sharing about what God is doing in our church, one of them smiled at me and said, Shabu, please don't forget to love Jesus more than your ministry. It all creeps in very subtly. It's that moment when a good thing becomes a bad thing, becomes a God thing. To close off, author Timothy Keller puts it this way in his book, In the Meaning of Marriage. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is when we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us, out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. As the music team comes, would you join with me in prayer? Lord God, we come before your throne. We pray that whoever we are, we pray for those of us who are entangled in these loves that are ultimately no good for our hearts and souls and ultimately our relationship with you. Would you help us to cry out to you and say, remember us, Lord for those of us who do not know you, that you would change our hearts to know you and help us to live as saints in this world for your glory. Amen.